Hello, it is Tuesday, July 14th. Okay, okay. Big show. Big, big show. A lot of conversation, a lot of topics, a lot of this, a lot of that. You know, all that stuff. We can't thank you enough for choosing to listen to this show. I know there's a lot of other stuff that you can listen to, okay? There's a lot of options out there. The fact that you let us penetrate your ears every Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, we are eternally grateful for. If you like this show, go ahead and tell a friend, you know, a little guerrilla warfare out there, ground and pound offense to spread the love, spread the show. And if you didn't like the show after you listened to it today, just go ahead and act like it never fucking happened. Okay, tight. Let's get to it. Big news coming out of the NFL world this morning. And this goes back a long time. I would assume before 2013, but in 2013, Dan Snyder wrote a strongly written statement that said, I will never, ever change the name of the Redskins. I will never, ever do it, basically. So just move on. Then a couple years ago, 2018, I believe, it became another talking point again. And Dan Snyder doubled down, said, I will never, ever, ever change the name. And here we are, July 13th, 2020, and a statement from Dan Dan Snyder's squad this morning via a press release says that they are officially retiring the Washington Redskins name and logo from the NFL. Now, in a press release that had uh, Redskins on it eight times, I believe, <laughs> they announced that the commencement of a thorough review of the team's name, the review has begun in earnest. Has begun in earnest? Oh, yeah. That's a guy. What does that mean? <laughs> I don't think I, that is a guy, Ernest. Ernest goes, uh, does Christmas or something. Ernest changes the football team. Ernest changes the football team. That review has begun in earnest. As a part of this process, we want to keep our sponsors first. By the way, look who's listed first here. We want to keep our sponsors, <laughs> fans, and community apprised of our thinking as we go forward today. We are announcing we will be retiring the Redskins name and logo upon completion of this review. Dan Snyder and Coach Rivera are working closely to develop a new name and design approach that will enhance the standing of our proud, traditional, rich franchise and inspire our sponsors. Look who's first again. Sponsors, fans, and community for the next hundred years. Okay, so they've officially said we're getting out of here. Now, a lot of people say this was strictly because FedEx pulled out of official titleship or title sponsor of their stadium. Nike started getting rid of merch and everything like that. And I think that's a very fair assumption. We started doing the math, I guess, in 1990-something, 97, nine. Nine, late 90s, uh, the Washington football team, formerly known as the Redskins, and FedEx got into a stadium sponsorship deal for 27 years or something for 200 some million dollars okay that average is like seven million dollars a year it's actually not that big of a hit to the pocketbook to dan snyder especially at this point if he was to make another move but whenever you title in the pepsi said they won't do business and nike won't do business with them that is when dan snyder had to look at people who are in business with him and rely on him and and then he said okay we got to do it we thought this was never going to happen a lot of people i think redskins fans thought this was never going to happen snyder will never give but now there's an opportunity for the first 
first time in a long time for a brand new franchise name in the NFL. What's that mean? That means new merch. That means new everything. New. They have to have a new chant, new saying, new logos, new traditions, new everything. And I would assume that there are some Redskins fans of the past that are not pumped up about this. But five to ten years from now, will anybody ever think this is a bad decision? No, that is no way. But what are they going to fall on? I guess there's quite a trademark war happening behind behind closed doors right now. Last night, somebody tweeted from, I think, Business Sports Business Journal or something like that. They said that this morning they're going to be announcing the new name. And I was pumped up. I'm like, hey, we never get anything announced by the time our show's on. Right? Everything's normally like noon. Like, we can just, we'll have this to talk about. Turns out they are just announcing that they are going to be announcing a new name. It's an announce for an announce, which I respect and appreciate. But the reason why is because they can't announce the name because they have to lock down all the trademarks, all the potential trademarks, all the all, everything you could potentially need for merch, slow Logan's sayings. You saw Tampa Bay get uh, trademarked as soon as uh, Tom was thinking about something. That's what they have to do. And I guess there's a guy named something Macaulay who owns all these trademarks because he's been looking forward to this day when Dan Snyder finally has to move it. And I would assume Dan and this guy are currently going at it for potential (laughs) trademarks. There's a lot of names being thrown out there. DCFC, Mm -hmm. the Washington Red Wolves the Red Tails, the D.C. Generals. How about the Washington Sentinels? Hello, Shane Falco. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of names out there. Whatever they fall on, some people are going to love, some people are going to hate. I just hope it has a cool song and dance that we can sing along with if they ever actually finally win this whole thing. The, the tough thing, I think, for the team is they've been so bad for so long. Now that there's a team change, the name is changing, it's going to give a lot of people in Washington and their fan base an excuse to be like, eh, maybe I just go root for another team and I don't even worry about this. Could team give anymore. some people some outs. Could give some people some outs. Like those diehards. You know, you think about the season ticket holders that have been there for a long haul. Their entire houses potentially, their game rooms are potentially all maroon and, or burgundy and whatever it is. You get it. Their entire thing, all the state, they have all every jersey. What are they going to do? What are your loyal. See, like the backbone of your business is season ticket holders whenever you're a football team. Now, granted, TV rights, obviously great. (laughs) But if you want to talk about just your business alone, the season ticket holders are normally the people buying a lot of your merch. They're the people spending the the insane amount of money for the tickets each year. There's going to be a lot of people that aren't going to be happy with this. But like I said earlier, five to ten years from now, I look back and be like, oh, probably a good move. Definitely a good move. How many guys do you think are on this like committee to do this? Or is it ultimately, is it just Dan Snyder who's picking this? I like to think of Rivera and Snyder (laughs) just staring each other down a long, long table. Red Wolves. Write it down. <laughs> and then somebody goes and writes it. Like, that is a – when you're talking about naming your business, okay, naming whatever, that is a very, very high-stress thing to do. I mean, it is – we've just – there's been numerous times here where we've had to name things, and you just give up, basically, because it is impossible to think, of oh, what's the perfect name for this? What's the – what would – what what – what summarizes everything we want to represent? What, what is everything that this is and everything like that? And then you think of a name and then you got one person that's like, ah, but what if, and you're like, well, you're right. We got to write that down. And then it's like somebody else. So it's, it's not an easy process to do that. And the, I thought the biggest hurdle would be that we, I think July 10th is when this conversation started. 
and July 28th is when they're supposed to check into training camp. So that's roughly 18 days that you have to make an entire business move, like an entire. I thought there was no way they were going to be able to do that. But it turns out they say by the end of this week, the new name should be announced. But right now you're seeing, I guess you're not seeing it. You're, you're actually not seeing it, which is kind of the point I'm making. The things you can't see are lawyers right now going back and <laughs> forth for trademarks and stuff like that. And it's probably very expensive. I, I would assume there are some big checks oh. that are getting written because there's people that get on the Internet and they just buy up real estate. It's like uh, GoDaddy.com basically set up like a, uh, a potential um, gold rush for people. You just started buying. People just started buying up website names and buying up property on the internet and then when businesses would come they're like oh yeah no sure just sell the real estate to them it was just like that's a business that people have they have that with trademarks as well it's just something that happens or people get into that business because they feel like they can foreshadow or think somebody would need this at some point i mean i i know of a it, I know of like three different humans that do that and did that and got broken off and will still get broken off because they still own real estate as businesses continue to come here. And I would assume that Daniel Snyder is learning quickly about that business. Like, oh, this son of a bitch. <laughs> Just give us uh, how much does he want? Well, he bought it for he bought it for how much? Uh, 150 bucks. He wants how much for it? That's good business, baby. Hey, Dan, that's good business, baby. That's do, business, baby. That's business, baby. You got to do what you got to do. I don't know what the actual number is uh, in terms of like what teams get for merchandise and stuff like that, but do you think teams will be more reliant on that income this year with no fans in the stands, like selling jerseys and stuff like that? Yeah, I think jersey sales, T-shirt sales, towel sales, flag sales, all that stuff is going to be a rather big push. I assume you're going to see a lot of sales going on. I assume there's going to be a lot of internet, you know, like internet company work that they got going on. Mm-hmm. Buy one half off. Buy one, get one. Yeah. WWE has one of those like every single week. It's a, I would assume that that becomes a, a much bigger focus because they know that the ticketing department's got nothing to do for at least a couple weeks. Or, I don't know, PSG, I guess they had an exhibition over there in France. They had 5,000 people in their stadium. Originally holds 25,000, so 20% capacity. Is that going to be the new benchmark? Is France in a much different place in america i would assume but that's at least like kind of happening the afl had fans up there so maybe there'll be a slow roll back in there but i think the nfl has to at least think that the first couple weeks are going to be rough joining us now is a man who's a former bantamweight champion and wac and ufc ladies and gentlemen the handsome the savage dominic the dominator crew going on man hey you guys are awesome what a cool like what a cool way to introduce me thanks man hey a round of applause we always like to make somebody feel real comfortable so they can give us the good stuff you know whenever we start chatting a little bit man i could see that (laughs) hey well we hope you're healthy we hope you're safe let's talk about the you know fight stoppages because this past weekend it was a major talking point in your division when Jan was playing bongos on top of Aldo's head now let's take a trip uh back in time a little bit when you were fighting Cejudo for said bantamweight championship and it was a stoppage of the fight Cejudo wins you said you did not agree with the stoppage Cejudo leaves vacated title now Jan and Aldo are fighting for it Jan ultimately wins but everybody's up in arms about the fight should have been stopped before it was and then you're 
fight with Cejudo, you said, no, it shouldn't have been stopped. What is the, the ruling there if you're a ref? What should they be looking for? What is it? Because as a, I don't want to say a, a basic-ass eye in this, where I have a pretty basic-ass eye in the mixed martial arts, I, I understand they're fighting, but what is the ruling there uh, when it comes to the ref, and what would make it a little bit easier for these guys to make the right decisions? I like your question about that because there is actual, actually a real way you can know when a fighter's in danger in there, and that's by having your, your head be a bongo <laughs> yourself. <laughs> that's, that's the only way. The only way to know when to stop a fight is that you've been in there and had your head smashed in the corner of a fence and you can't move. And, you know, when you see certain guys, like let's say I'm fighting Aldo, let's say Jan is fighting Aldo, right? Jan's just doing his job and he knows, all right, it's my job to pour it on because I can see he's quitting, right? Why can the fighter see that he's quitting but the ref can't? That's what I want to know. The ref's right there. You can't tell this guy's quitting. And then you can't tell that I'm not quitting while I'm standing up. Like you can't see the difference. Now, the, the next missing thing that we've got to add into this, they're human. There's human error here, right? We're all human. Now, let's not forget the amount of adrenaline that goes into these fights. I mean, when I saw my ref before I walked out to my fight, and he went to give me the rules because before you fight, they sit you down. They talk to you about the rules. All right, uh, if their hands on the floor and you knee them here, this is illegal. Don't put, don't have your hands out like this. Keep your hands closed. Um, strikes have to be six, you know, six to twelve strikes are illegal. They take you through the whole spiel. And my referee, I'll never forget. This was the only time I ever felt it. He was so nervous he couldn't even look me in the eyes. I mean, I'll never forget that. I'm getting ready to walk out to this fight. It's one of the biggest fights in the history of the sport. Nobody else is watching any other sport anywhere. This guy looked like it was his first time ever doing a co-main event in his life. Like he was shaking. He couldn't make eye contact. I had to ask him to re-say the rules to me because I couldn't understand him because he was so like – he was mumbling so bad. And I just remember thinking in that moment like, man, this guy – I've worked six weeks nonstop. I've trained my butt off. I stopped eating. I stopped drinking water. I stopped everything. And this guy couldn't even not go for a smoke break right before my fight. <laughs> and this guy couldn't even. This guy. This guy couldn't even stop for a second to look me in the eye before I go into the biggest fight of my life and say, "I'm here, and I'm hearing what you're saying, and I pay attention to you, Dominic. I got you." He couldn't do that. He he's like this. He's trying not to look at me. He wouldn't shake my hand. Hey, that relationship. That relationship. I would assume is a, now. Granted, in football, whenever we had our replacement refs, it was a catastrophe. And I, I think even with the regular refs, sometimes it's a catastrophe because, like you said, human error. But when it comes to fighting, that relationship between the two warriors in there in the ref. I mean, that has to be a pretty intimate one. I'd assume because you hear a lot of conversations. Like the guy need the guy in the balls twice, and then he gave him a knee to the head earlier, and he, the ref was like, "What are you doing?" Like the, that conversation was almost like how hockey refs talk to hockey. It has to be a pretty good relationship in there. So whenever you see that, that has to be a bit alarming. And then the, the fight ends the way it does when you're trying to get up and he stops it. It's almost like you have to have a terrible taste in your mouth after that. I just don't. Well, that's that's what I'd have to say. It's really tough for me as an athlete to to accept that as a loss. To me, I lost to the ref, not to Cejudo. And then you're going to hear everybody else say, "Oh, yeah, but this, but that," and it's like, "Yeah, but I'm an athlete, and I I fight. I've been through. I've been hit harder than that my whole life. Like I've been dropped several times in fights. This is part of the upbringing of fights. Is you get floored sometimes. You're going to get hit. This is part of it. Now, if you shell up and cover up and do this, I get it." 
stop the fight. Like you're saving yourself. But if this guy's moving and trying to get to his feet, you know, give him a shot. Give him a chance to to fight this thing out. And I like what you said about the relationship with the fighters, man. Um, I think that the way we're talking about complaining about, you know, this can change and this this should shouldn't have gone this way and your fight shouldn't have gone that way. But I think a more important question is what can actually be done about it, right? And if you talk about Floyd Mayweather and any of his fights, you can look at any of his contracts and he actually negotiates the referee before any of his fights. Mm -hmm. So he talks about it, adds it into the contract, into the negotiation, and then him and the fighter both decide on a referee that fits them that they both trust. Why would he do that? Because there's tons of money on the line and health is on the line and brains are on the line and body parts are on the line and if that referee isn't aligned with the fighters and doesn't know where they're at and how they're doing things then i don't think that's very safe and you know the commission says they're here for our safety then why wouldn't you let us choose the person that keeps us safe why do you choose that for us uh if all of your referees and judges are all accountable and trustworthy then why can't we just pick anyone that we want the judges is a whole nother conversation I, and when dana white comes out and he's like yeah the judges got it wrong like that is a wild thing for me to think of as uh a, a, like other professional sports because the commission who is hired i don't know if they're sanctioned whatever the hell it is their their job is to pick a winner for dana's league right so this this company or whoever it is they're hired to pick a winner then the head guy's like well they got it wrong you would think that dana would be able to like well then i'm just then let's go ahead and just do this but i guess that's not how it works whenever it's sanctioned fights because the judge's ruling is the judge's ruling because if you look at that holloway fight and i i don't know anything from anything right I, I don't know much about much i don't know how much leg kicks are scored and takedowns and defense i don't know all that stuff but the espn plus app <laughs> had the color of the fighters on there and max he that other dude was bright red <laughs> his entire body and max was not i was like so i'm just looking at him like well it feels like max probably won this one and my eyes i think max won this one and then when he doesn't win it and the other guy wins it, i think there's a lot of conversations like how does this happen and i guess it's because you got some stooges in there that make decisions but it feels to be a common occasion if it feels to happen on a regular occasion am i accurate i mean it's it's like almost once a fight once a fight night there's like oh some idiot made a bad decision well, this is the best way I can explain it to you in a, in a way that you can understand that if you don't fight and stuff like you're saying. Because you're right. There's some weird decisions going on. But the problem is everybody's not working as a unit in fighting right now. When we started in fighting, we came over. Mixed martial arts is a brand new sport. 20 years tops, right? I'll try to make this a quick explanation. But in the sport of boxing, uh, it took years for them to get the Muhammad Ali Act to give everybody all these like different fair transactions in, in the negotiations of a contract. Well, all that boxing commission and everything stayed there because MMA had no commission. So what did we do? We had to grab what was there. We couldn't make up our own sanctioning uh, body. So we just took boxings and we threw it into our sport. Now that we've done that, I mean, we all know boxing hasn't necessarily been the most credible either, right? So we get all of them and we're bringing them into our sport because we have nothing better at that point of the sport. Now – the sport has tra like uh, progressed and gotten to a whole nother level these days. The problem is we're still stuck with that same like-minded commission. And now here's the big problem. They're not willing to work with us. They're saying we are a separate body. We are a separate entity. We are family owned. The only way to get into this is to be family or be hired by family or to have a hookup in the family. Oh, it's a mafia. <laughs> it's, it, it's, that's what it is. And when you try to talk to them, it's our way or the highway. We run this. You can't touch us. So then 
Here's the other problem. If you go to Vegas and you have that commission, we can't talk to them. That commission won't talk to any but any other commission. So if you go to to Jacksonville and try to have the commission in Vegas talk to the J- commission in Jacksonville, they'll be hating each other and com- competing with each other to see whose rules are better. They'll change the rules on each other and they'll say, "I'm a better I'm a better referee, I'm a better judge. We have a better system here in this state than you do in that state." So now they're competing with each other. So each state you go to as a fighter, you also have to pay attention to different rules, different scoring systems, different everything. And it's very confusing all because the commission doesn't just want to get their stuff together and work with us as a group. If we're, we're all one, we're all connected. But I believe too, now if you give a promoter ruling over the commission, now the promoter can dictate the fights too. So you also can't have that. WWE. You got it w- is tough. Yeah. Then you got WWE potentially or professional wrestling potentially. And it's like, I mean, there is so much that goes into it. And what about Abu Dhabi? They have their own commission. I assume they don't talk to the Jacksonville Commission. <laughs> I would assume they're not talking to the Jacksonville Commission. That You're is, right. You're very right about that. <laughs> that is an insane. That is an insane to go because that's deciding who makes money, who doesn't make money, what careers are worth it, what careers are not. And if they're not all on the same page with the same rules, that seems to be something that they should be fixed, especially whenever there's like $4.55 billion being spent into the sport being purchased. That makes no sense. Hopefully, Dominic, you'll be able to be a part of that. Let's move back to you getting back into the cage here. So you're 35 years old, and you've fought for a long time. And it has been said that you are nowhere near done. You still feel good, want to fight. The fight that would make sense, obviously, if you think about the controversial stoppage with you and Cejudo, then Cejudo vacates the title, and then Jan and Aldo fight for the said title, and now Jan's got it. The, the fight that makes sense would be you and Jan. And my, I'm not a fight maker, but that feels like the right thing. Hey, he looked like a stud on set. Hey, he looked like he never got tired. He, he never got tired. He looked explosive. He looks like the guy. And I talked to Cormier last week or two weeks ago. I said, when you see these guys that I think are monsters, he said, I just want to make them look average. I think like when I get in there, I'll make them look average. When you see Jan, what do you think if that was to be your next fight? What are your thoughts on him? That was an impressive showing by him, especially against Aldo. Yeah, well, you got to talk about the champion of the division, don't you? You have to. It's it's the hundred thirty. He's the champion right now, and he did what what it took, um, because he didn't just beat Aldo. Let's not forget, he dismantled everybody. He fought. He finished pretty much everybody. He knocked almost everybody out that he fought, and he did it. He did it handily. He switches stands. He switches. He shifts in between stands. He's very patient. He's got good reads. He's the legit champion. Now, what I look at is how long I've been doing this sport like 17 years and watching for me it's watching the progression of the sport watching guys where they stand like if you look at aldo aldo has a style that this is that's how the that's how most styles looked 10 years ago when i was doing this when you look at Jan, do you notice he'll stay in one stance switch stance in the middle of it and he's just as good defensively and offensively he switches his feet the other way the the best way i can equate that is in basketball if you've got LeBron James doing a layup on the left side, he can also do it on the right side, but he can also dunk and do everything on both sides of the hoop flawlessly. Uh, um, that's basically what you're doing in fighting. You're switching sides. You're able to defend and do everything perfectly on both sides. That's unheard of. In the past, it used to be just one-sided you stayed on, and that was it. If you switched, you lost some of your, de- you lost some of your defense. You lost some of your offense. This guy pours it on. He doesn't get tired. And like you said, 27 years old hungry got you know hungry thirsty just wants everything you could see it in his eyes and so those are the guys that you want champion those are the guys that push the division those are the guys you know as a champion it's our responsibility 
to not just push ourselves. It's to push the division. How can you? We're all one. We're all one. I can't be impressive unless I fight a Uriah Faber who gives me a crazy rivalry for years and years. And now that rivalry is what makes me good. What makes the superheroes the best is the supervillain. Oh! And and that that's what Jan brings to this division he brings a whole nother level where he's like yo let's go bring it come on i'm angry you guys can't touch me sterling brings that sandhagen brings that i mean there's so many guys that are just hungry right now for that top spot bantamweight division is on fire i'm honored to be a part of it and i'm honored to face all these guys they're savages so yeah you're a savage as well the dominator (laughs) absolute savage 17 years in the game I mean, the fact that your brain operates at the fashion it does still is amazing. And obviously a massive compliment to your fighting abilities and Bobby and moving. You're a mover in there, Dominic, which I am very impressed by. Let's talk about a different division. Jorge Masvidal, Street Jesus, takes a fight six days notice, has to lose 20 pounds, which I'm, or 19 pounds, I guess, was the actual number at the end of the day. Whenever you see, and after the first round, he had his hands on his head. I would assume Usman saw him do this after the first round and was like, okay, we're in a pretty good spot here. The guy took a fight on six days, and after the first round, he already seems to be a bit winded. How difficult is that, though, for somebody who doesn't know the fight game? Six days out, in my eyes, that feels like a damn near impossible task, but I still bet on him. I still bet on him (laughs) rather have. But that feels like, while watching it, it was like, man, this looks like a guy who hasn't had enough time cardio-wise as somebody else. It, it, It is that how you saw it as well? Yeah, well what happens, man, is that he probably did put in the work, but when you know when you're not sure if you're gonna get the fight or not, you kinda take instead of just flooring it, you kinda just you let off just a little bit. And I'm sure Jorge Masvidal did that. He was preparing. He knew there was a possibility that they would call him, somebody would get pulled out, somebody would get hurt as a fighter. Even me, everybody in the division is ready to to jump on the fight if somebody gets hurt. So we're all training. So he was training. But I think that that little layoff that he might have had really probably hurt his cardio in those later rounds. That's human nature, though. That's that's literally human nature. It's like, okay, I I don't have an actual target that I have to work for that could potentially be killing me. But I'm still going to work hard. I mean, that's just a tough the fact he took the fight is awesome. The fact he ate pizza on the way over there, awesome. And Usman probably was very excited going in there. He looked very compliment or very confident going in. Dom, going <laughs> off of that, is there any point like psychologically when you get into the octagon where you kind of just think like, oh, I don't really have it tonight, and then you're, or is it always just like you're looking for that next like slip up where you can knock a guy out or submit him? Like, is there any point where you're just like, ah, I just, I just don't really have it tonight? Um, are you are you meaning in the back, walking into there? In the, when you're yeah, like in, like in the cage. Yeah, like once you get into the octagon, and maybe like the first round didn't really go the way you expected it to, or, or something like that. Yeah, it's going to be a long night. I feel like potentially a long night. Okay. Has there ever been that? Yeah, that's a good question. And you know what? I like that question because yes, that happens more often than you think. Uh, the cool thing though is that in mixed martial arts there's so many options like if you're boxing somebody and he starts socking you in the face and your head's doing this and you're like <laughs> you get out of that round you come back to your corner you're like I don't know what the hell he's doing <laughs> like, you're screwed you have no options it's over for you you know what I mean but if you're getting socked up like this you come back to the corner and you're like man I don't know what he's hitting me with take him down now <laughs> put him on the floor you are going to get creamed if you don't do it and so there's always options knee him in the face throw an elbow when he throws his right hand he keeps clipping you with his right hand look at your face it's a bloody mess next time he throws that punch meet him in the middle let him hit you you hit him harder with the elbow he'll go out 
there's things you can do to, to make those differences, and that's what fighting is. Is there a lot of lying in the corner as well? Because I heard more than one corner person tell their fighter that they were winning, and they were clearly not winning. Is that something? That's all just a mental, that's a coach trying to get the person out of their own head, or what, what is that, you think? I, you kind of cut out a little bit on that. I'm sorry. Can you say that again? Oh, my God. <laughs> Unbelievable, Dom. Unbelievable. I no. I mean, you forgot. I, I, I know it's asking a lot. You forgot your sleeves. So to ask you to remember that last <laughs> sentence. Hey, I've been working out, though. You're, Dude, you're swole, bro. No more creatine for you. <laughs> I'm on this keto. It's been working out pretty heavily. Um, the um, A lot of the corner people were lying to their fighters this weekend. They were telling them, you're in the lead. You're winning the first two rounds. Is there because is that because that doubt could potentially seek into the fighter and the corner person is like, oh, we don't need this person to know you are getting slaughtered. Everybody's thinking, no, you're winning. You got a couple going. That's probably a big part of the entire fight game is keeping the confidence high. Sometimes you're right. Yeah, sometimes you want that. So it it honestly does depend on the fighter, though. It really does. Like similar to the referee needing to know the athletes that are in there, right? The the coach needs to know the athlete too, obviously. And when you, I know certain guys that I talk to, sometimes you just got to slap the shit out of them. I'm sorry. <laughs> just like, oh, you're right. I'm here. I'm fighting. You're right. And cer- certain people you have to talk calm. Like, hey, we're here. You got this. You understand that you just take some deep breaths. Here's, you're fine. This is what you got to do. And you got to, every single person is different. Every approach is not the same. Just like your interviews. You can't talk to everybody the same or do you? No, I can't. There's some, we talked to a guy earlier today, Bruce Feldman, wealth of knowledge, but boy, each answer is about seven minutes long. <laughs> that was a tough one. I didn't know how to, I didn't know how, I, I don't want to step on him because it's, he's a guest, but then there were some times where I was like, okay, there's like 10 things you've covered right there I'd like to talk about. Diggs, what do you got? Um, is there any way that you could tell Dana um, that the East Coast has a hard time staying up till three o'clock oh, to watch the main event? Bro, that was terrible. <laughs> Don, that was terrible this yep. weekend. That was impossible to stay up for that fight. Well, I guess the, the better question is what would be the time for East Coasters and West Coasters that we could have had it where everybody's happy? Well, what I think th- right three, time? 3 p.m. with a noon, <laughs> maybe on West, would have been good. Three, four, so then that would have been 6 p.m. Yeah. Uh, West Coast time, and that would have worked. So I wonder why we didn't do yeah, that. Right. What time would it have been in Abu Dhabi? Uh, I think it would have been like their night. It would have been like 10 p.m. or something like that. So I have no clue why they didn't do that. Maybe it had to do with the commission. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? What is fight day like? Um, because you see that they were fighting at 6 a.m. I assume they were trying their best to stay on the East Coast time zone as they were in Abu Dhabi. But a lot of fighters obviously don't even arrive to the arena until fights have already started. Do you have like a set nap time? Do they give you like Ambien or, or met, like what is the day set up to the fight? So you're at optimal time at 1130 p.m. or midnight or whatever. When I fought it, uh, in COVID, in this COVID scenario, it was much different. Um, they could only have. Excuse me. They can only have two Don't people. Don't die over there. I mean, geez, get back to your <laughs> corner. Don't die over there. I burped. I burped. Okay, Excuse good. Me. Yeah, all right. Um, they can only have two people in the arena fighting at once, or no, two groups, so like two teams. So the, when I went in, there was one team, um, or the two teams ahead of me that were fighting, right? And then my team and the other one. So I guess technically four teams were allowed in one arena at one time. Then you have all the workers. The whole inside of it is just silent and you just got some workers with big old like glass screens in front of the tables that are watching the fights officials and everything and um you know they brought us in man i had by the time i got in, into the to the locker room i had 40 
an hour maybe tops to warm up and then i was in there so it was it was very quick very efficient right when you leave right when you finish your fight they have you get dressed and get right out and the new crew comes in and it's like it's like clockwork what do you do during the day though like whenever Usman showed up and masvidal showed up or uh when you're the last fight let's say on an entire card do you get like how is the day schedule? I've always been intrigued by this because you're being asked to be at your peak performance at like midnight. Some guys, right? you got to be at midnight. Are you training at that time? Are you like, or is there a nap set? Like, what is the the routine to get in? So you're at optimal time. Then? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. The whole week you set yourself up just for that fight time. Like the whole everything about your week in the camp before, like before my fights. If I know I'm going to Abu Dhabi, I will find out the fight time. And I'll be tra- I'll be sparring and training at that time in practice here. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot so, of sense. Get, they, that's what that's what most people do. Or you'll get there two weeks early, and you'll acclimate and do that in the place that you're fighting too. That happens as well. Where do you live at full time? Uh, San Diego, but I'm from Tucson, Arizona. My family's out there. That's where I was raised. So I go back and forth oh. in Vegas. Were you a big-time wrestler, I'd assume? You got that big-ass cauliflower ear on that left ear. Yeah, right? yeah. I started with wrestling and crossed over to fighting uh, right after wrestling. You're you're one of those guys when, uh, you know, you walk into a bar, you just got to kind of survey the place. Like, all right, where's cauliflower ear? Right there. Stay away from that little motherfucker right there. <laughs> no, that's the thing, man. I'm, I'm good at blending. I blend right in. You won't even... I'll, I'll smile at you. We'll be chilling. There won't be any issues until there's issues. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I will let you know. You might be good at blending, but I, I got LASIK. I got 2010. I see that cauliflower here from probably before I even walk into the bar. That little, that little no, people do spot it nowadays, though. People are like, they, they now more than ever. It didn't used to be that way. See that handsome guy at the bar right over there? If anything pops off. Fucking steer clear of that <laughs> guy right over there. Uh, Don, we pre- Actually, we're, we're sometimes the most calm. Don't forget that. Yeah, it's because, you know, there's not a single drunk human in there that could do a single thing. To you. Matt Mitrione. A lot Matt, of pizza we carry. Matt Mitrione uh, is from here, you know, and I've gone out with him a couple of times. And he's like, what, six foot five, 285 pounds or whatever. And he's a trained fighter. And it's we walk into a place and I just look at the bouncer and I wonder, like, there's really nothing you can fucking do. Just like, <laughs> if this guy who is 285 pounds wants to do anything, there is not a single thing you could do. But you do see numerous bouncers kind of move towards the area. And Matt, very chill. Most fighters, very, very chill humans, which kind of is an interesting thing about flipping a switch, going in and trying to kill somebody and then coming back out. But the thought of just being able to be a ninja in real life has to be a pretty cool one. I mean, it has to be a pretty cool feeling. That has to what- be you know what's funny about that is how you read the situation that the that the that they're moving around trying to get set just in case, right? Oh yeah. So as a fighter, you know that the referees are or that sorry, referees. You know that the bouncers are doing this. You're always watching yourself. You're always watching because just like they're looking at you as a threat, you're looking at who your threats are too and your exits <laughs> and everything that you got going on, right? So when I'm looking at I, I train bouncers to, to I'm a little guy. But I train them on how to hold people and get them out without having to F them up, without having to make them bleed, without having like grab them in certain locks where they, they're just big, giant dudes like you, where you can just grab them in a certain way and lift them up and carry them out. <laughs> My little – exactly. <laughs> like with biceps like that, you let me know. I got you, bro. Hey, if you but, could teach me some of those little 
things, that'd be great news. You know what I mean? We're fingering guys and getting them knocked out. <laughs> we, teach them to, we teach them how to move each other out. So when I see them looking at me, I just make friends with them because all they want to do is make sure you're not a threat. And once you, you shake their hand, they know who you are, that you shake their hand, you say hi to them. You guys actually have a, an understanding with one another. You don't want any beef with one another. You guys just, hey, if there's any issues, we're good. Trust me. You don't need to come to me. I got your back. And then you just slip right out when there's any beef. Hey, and the bouncers <laughs> want you on their side bad anyways. Like, That's right. right. Hey, who's going to go make peace with the fucking ninja over there? <laughs> <laughs> who's going to do it? Ladies and gentlemen. Former Bantamweight, WEC, and UFC champion, the Dominator, Dominic Cruz. Pleasure, guys. Thank you so much. You're awesome. Hey, we hope you come back. You're really good at this. I'd love to come back. You guys are great, too. All right. Well, cheers, man. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, boys. Yep. Today's show is brought to you by Lisa. Lisa Mattress is a the mattress that I'm laying on currently uh, next to my lady and our pit bull and Sharpay. Chuck the Corgi now sleeps outside the room. Locked out. Still inside the house, outside of the bedroom. But he can kind of run and shit and piss wherever the hell he wants, just outside of the bedroom because he gets a little bit bossy with the bed and where he puts his ass out on the pillows and stuff like that. But I can't blame him because when you get a chance to sleep on a Lisa mattress, you take advantage of it. This is the most comfortable bed I've ever been on. And this bed showed up at my front door in a box. That box was unpacked in less than five minutes and whammy, the best mattress I've ever slept on is now in my bedroom. Thanks to Lisa. That's what they do. Lisa took this car salesman aspect out of the mattress shopping business. No longer do you got to go lay on. No, you can't now, obviously, because quarantine, which is good news. New bed can come. Probably wearing out your bed right now, whether it's making love or just laying on your ass, doing whatever you got to do to get through this whole thing. New bed can come in a couple of days, bang, in a box to your front door, unpack it, put it in the bedroom. You got the most comfortable mattress you've ever had. And for right now, you get up to $200 off and free shipping at lisa.com. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com. It'll be worth it. It's changed our entire sleep. I mean, it's really good stuff. Lady, do you agree? Love it. She loves the mattress. See, lady, she's obviously a lot lighter than I am, smaller than, I'm, than I am. You would think, oh, no, the bed won't be able. They did all the studies. They did all the science. It's great for all body types. Just like this show. Oh, smooth transition, winning awards for that type of stuff. Spring training is currently happening 2.0. Baseball is back. Nobody thought it was going to happen. And one of the most electrifying figures in the history of the sport, World Series champ two times, ladies and gentlemen, Ozzy Gee. Ozzy, I'll tell you what, the boys were super pumped to see that your name was coming on our show, as am I. We are so thankful, brother. No, thank you so much. I just uh, get up this morning watching a couple, couple of your shows. Uh, it's funny. I like funny shows. I like when people go into it, tell the truth. When you have a show, you got to tell the truth. Sometimes politics correct is, uh, you know, get you anywhere. <laughs> okay, so I was going to ask you about this at some point, but some of your best clips, now granted, 
you're an incredible manager, right? And so that gets kind of lost in the shuffle a little bit. If you have a good personality, sometimes that can get lost in the shuffle. You're an incredible manager, but some of your best clips is whenever you were handling the media and talking to the media. What was your biggest beef with the media? Did you think they were unfair? You think they were stupid? What was the real thing? Because I have my thoughts. I thought they didn't know much about my position, so anybody talked about it, I wanted to slap them in the mouth. It seems like you had a lot more encounters with them, though, and those were always electrifying uh, videos on the internet well remember I, I grew up in chicago i grew up playing chicago i know most people all the media in chicago and uh i always try to be honest and be honest they know what kind of honesty i have with them and i think right now the media in chicago they're very weak very very weak uh, I, I work in, the, in this side now as a media sometimes when they're going to interview the managers the coaches the, either 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 sport they are they're really worry about what they're going to ask at the guy and they'll get upset. With me, there was, uh, maybe they, because they know they're going to give from me what they want to hear, know what they want to find out. And uh, I think that, that, you know me, I have, with the media, I don't have any problem at all in Chicago at all. I'm, I got in trouble a couple of times of record stuff. <laughs> and and when they put it back, they said, you really say that? I said, no, but it was a record, but I don't say it that way, but yet, <laughs> <laughs> I say it that way and I, I, I keep up with my work and uh, sometimes uh, it got me in trouble but when they find out the real thing uh, they, they know I was right they know I know what's uh, tried to molest or unrespect anybody and, but it take me a couple of weeks to make sure that thing every day talking about the same stuff and to get it ready to get it right and find you know I me mean, thank God I did it <laughs> well, Ozzy, it's because uh, that is it's because of those situations, though, that I think that everybody is drawn to you. And uh, I think you're a guy that in the baseball history books will go down as a very memorable part of the sport of baseball. Let's talk about baseball. Rob Manfred in the MLBPA there. It was ugly for a while. It felt like Rob Manfred, every single time he had a chance, he was sticking his foot in his mouth further. But ultimately, they get a deal done to bring back spring training 2.0 and then ultimately a 60 game season i'll talk to you that about that in a bit but was there a time where you thought baseball was not going to come back because of how ugly it was getting uh, publicly i lost a lot of bets i bet with my kids couple dinner <laughs> i bet we got a couple couple rounds of golf uh because i, I the, the thing i see it and i still look at it that way you know I me mean? i'll i don't want to say i'm old school baseball guy i was in the 80s and the 90s and even the 70s when i was uh, a fan I cannot see baseball the way they're going to play it this year. I want to work on it. I'm going to see the difference is baseball is between 2020 and the rest of the of baseball life. Uh, it's going to be weird. You got no fans. Uh, players can be talking to each other. They don't know what they're going to say. Everything is confusing. Players cannot be together at the dugout, but they can be together in the clubhouse. <laughs> I don't know. The disease got transmitted from one from one two feet to another. Uh, uh, media not be covered. The media not going to be covered. I think they just did it. Because remember, next year is going to be a big step for baseball. They're going to uh, the, the, they're going to talk about the future of the game. I think Manfred he got a tough time. He got a very tough time because uh, uh, it's a very tough situation for him because sometimes not the match. Is they play or not? Is the governor going to demand it? And besides that, 
I think Clark, he have a problem because when players was tweeting, players was tweeting and players saying stuff and back and forth. And I said in the show one day, I said, listen, if I was Clark, I made sure to all my players shut up. We <laughs> this. this is not an easy situation because players go back and forth like, well, we do, we don't, we don't care, we do, we care. And that make the transaction a little bit tougher and difficult. And I'm glad they're playing. I, you know I me. Mean? I'm not against. You know, I'm not with them. I'm not support them because I think they're going to play in weird situations. I, I, I love it because I'm going to make money out of that game. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be working on TV, but it's going to be very interesting. Very, very interesting how this season is going to handle it because it's going to be. 100% different than what we've seen in the past. Okay, so let's talk about the season, how it's going to be different. Let's get rid of the fans and the separation of the clubhouse and the dugout, which in MLS they're doing the same thing. In the NFL, players will be hitting each other for an entire game, and then afterwards they can't dap each other up. They have to socially distance. So there's Ozzy, <laughs> There's a lot of things that make zero sense. But let's just talk about the sport itself. 60-game season. If you were a manager for a team right now, what would you be telling your team? Because baseball forever has been a marathon sport. It's always been, hey, 162 games. We're going to grind it out. We'll find some grooves. We won't. Maybe we'll get let. Like, how do you how do you change the mentality of baseball players, especially at the professional level, who play for so long, and say, hey, this is a 60 game sprint? What would your message be? And who do you think this is going to favor? Well, you know, I me. Mean, I want to talk about a winning team. Winning team is like, hey, it's going to be trophy involved. Yes, I want it. I want the trophy. I don't care. 30 games or 190 games. I want that trophy no matter the situation is going to be. My players, it's different organization, different teams. You know what I mean? If you were the Dodgers, you better win. You were the Yankees, you better win. You were the White Sox, you better win. You you know, it's so many people involved right now. In the short season, anything can happen. Anything. Uh, Because, you know what I mean? It's good for a fact. Uh, The only reason I know one this short season for excuse. Oh, it was a short season. Mm. Weird thing. We couldn't make it. Uh, we're not playing that well. This play not playing good. This manager was terrible. You know, all the little excuse because the short season, it can happen. But the thing I love about this season is just because anybody, any team can get hot and go to the playoff and get there to the World Series. The Pittsburgh Pirates can win this year? Yes, yes. No! <laughs> wow. Wait a minute. You know why? The money, because you don't never know. This is not a basketball team. This is not a football. Baseball is different. Baseball is so weird. So weird, you never know it. Look at this year, uh, the Nationals. National was, was like, they only win like 10 games in the first 42 games. They, all of a sudden, they win the championship. You know why? Because it's a long season, and you can have a chance to recover but in baseball, you can start hot or you can start cold. You can start cold. It's, it reminds me a little bit of winter league baseball. Mm. I managed winter league baseball last few years. And one day you're in the first place. And next week you're last place. <laughs> you lose five, six, seven games in a row. You're in half seat. Okay. And if you win 10 games in a row, you're in a good place to be because for the rest of the season. That's why you have to go out and compete every game with the last game of the season. Okay, so let's talk about how you would have to manage the bullpen here. If you have a pitcher 
who, and I guess it's very normal for some pitchers to potentially start out a little bit slower and then for some, whatever reason, they kind of get into it. With this shorter game or shorter season here, if you have a pitcher that's struggling early, are you going to try to, are you pulling him to maybe try to get better uh, off the field? Are you hoping that he just hits his groove faster? Like, is there going to be a lot of like, judgment on managing and what they do with the bullpen i think there's going to be a lot more importance in that uh, the strategy of all that am i accurate yes you are you know it's funny last couple of years last few years uh, bullpen is a big part of the winning season big huge part now pitchers they can only go five innings five and third a day you're not going to see complete games anymore you're not going to see a guy go last eight seven seven eight innings maybe the veterans maybe three or four uh, that's why the bullpen is a key to any winning team in this in in, in, in last ten years. And you know what? If I'm rebuilding, or we're not going to have it, we know we don't have enough ball club to win it this year. I got very easy. But if I know I had the opportunity to win, I got to give my pitchers the best quality innings to win and rest the bullpen because you know I good starters. Your bullpen is going to be a fiasco. And I, I, to me, I always, I mean, mentality is all about winning. I don't care about rebuilding. I don't care about this guy got two years in Big League. The guy got 10 years in Big League. I think the guy is going to start the season. I don't think he's going to go more than five innings, 85 pitches, 90 pitches. But meanwhile, if I have to push the gas and anybody, I will do it. If we win the championship, Next year later, they even care how many innings you have. You know, you got to be in DL for the rest of your life. You got to bring in your hands. That's only people. That's only model for baseball. And I see a lot of guys win, win the World Series and they could have pitched for next two, three years. They never come back to pitch. They got hurt. They have so many innings in the in, in, in arm. To me, people, it's just remember the ring. They don't remember who take you to the ring. Yeah, and, and and that's why I go to look at it. I have to win the game. Is I have to have a chance to win, and I know I have a chance to win. My play had to be ready to win. I had to be ready to have to go there every day, and you know, I mean, just play hard every day and do what it's supposed to do day in and day out. It feels like this year would potentially be a year because they're trying to get people out of the vicinity of the players that the strike box that uh, would basically tell if a ball is a strike or a ball instead of the umpire having to judge the strike zone, which I know is something traditional baseball, like working the strike zone. Do you ever see that becoming something in baseball? Because some of your interactions with umpires <laughs> are some of the best things I've ever watched in my entire life. You know what? This is the most ridiculous thing I can even see in baseball. <laughs> they change baseball so much. They really do. They change baseball so much. It's kind of weird. It takes the sensitivity of the game. This year, they come up with the rules. You cannot argue with the umpire. You cannot go there to the field because of the corona. I got a, a mask to talk to the media. I put my mask and go straight to the umpire <laughs> and let them know because the umpire already have enough power. If you make a mistake, it's umpire because they will because they're human being. They make a mistake, and all of a sudden, that's to lose the game. That's a game that gives me opportunity to go to the playoff and I'm going to sit down like, okay, I just take it. I'm being abused. <laughs> but you got to fight for your team. You don't fight to be fine or you think you're tougher than the umpire. You, you fight for your team, the best, the best for the ball club. Now, when they have a computer, 
I think the best thing they on Paris when they have the uh, the thing they go to TV and see the play was right or wrong. They take it away. I like this is the best thing they come up with. This is fair for everyone. Now they take it away, and I don't see you know I me mean, the one the best thing work for the baseball. They get taken away now. The worst thing happened in baseball. They put it back. <laughs> all parts, the human being, they some all part, not everyone. They think they're bigger in the game. Some part, some all part think they come and pay to watch him umpire. Uh, <laughs> it's not an easy job, man. Believe me, umpire is not an easy job because the most guy to be hate in the game is the umpire. Both teams gonna be against him. The fans gonna be against him. Media gonna be against him. It just—it's it's not a, any win-win situation for any umpire. But I think they give them too much, too much power. Is that me? I will manage it the same way. I will scream for the dog out. You know, <laughs> at least, at least to. Uh, by the way, it's not gonna be fans in the ball in the ballpark. You can hear anything happen to you telling the umpire. Uh, how much they gonna to tolerate what you're saying from the dog out? That's a different scenario. How much do you have like a plan whenever you're going in there to yell at them, or is it just whatever you're feeling in the moment? Did you have like a strategy with different umps? Like, hey, I got to make sure this I say this to this guy. I got to talk this way to this guy because you ultimately, I don't know if you're trying to get ejected or just get a point <laughs> across. Is there a strategy whenever you're going out there? Or is that all pure emotion? Let me kick some dirt on the shoes a little bit. Well, you know what? It's all about reputation. I. I when I was managing, I was, you know, Ron Garden, I got thrown, Mama, then me, Lou Pinella, my associate, all those guys competed against me, Jim Leland. But the thing was, when I was on the field, I was there forever. My problem was not was what I talked to them on the field. The problem was after the game, when they asked me, I went at it. And <laughs> the league don't like it. And that's why they find me. They just see me everywhere talking with, the, you know, argument with the umpire. But, when you go to army with the umpire and the umpire come to you and say, hey, I think I missed the play. Uh, I'm, you know, me, that's the way I see it. But when the umpire go like, ho, oh, oh, don't come here. No, 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 no. And sometimes we go, you're a rookie ump- uh, manager. Umpire then you just got to the game. I said, hey, I played 70 years in the big league. I've been here before you was. Then, <laughs> it, I remember, I know, you know, sometimes you, you got to come out if the team not playing well, you come out and just I don't know if I get kicked out of the game. Hopefully, your team get pumped up and, and fight for. Yeah. And sometimes you have to protect your player. Example: If Jim Tommy got strike out, and Jim Tommy come to by me and he's upset about it, okay? Uh oh, I know this umpire is not good. <laughs> but if AJ Persiski come to me and argue about other umpires, I don't believe AJ because AJ he just Every pitch is, is, is ball for him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, yeah, and that's why you just see Paul Conerco uh, argument with the umpire. Just like, uh oh, this is real. Jermaine died. But we, like, as again, when my manager, when they see me argument on the base, I, I, the manager go off. Ozzy just pissed. Ozzy just mad. <laughs> Ozzy just hung over. Ozzy, but when I see you, you depend. Who make you go out and how you gonna protect your player? And that's that's you know what I mean that's the way I go about my business, uh order to protect my players and my team. Ozzy, do you think that there's a chance that there'll be like a uh an uptick in like steroid usage this year potentially with uh, less amount of games, guys trying to potentially maximize their stats like going into a you know, a new contract? 
I I just I just got froze, guys. Can you repeat the question? Yeah. Do you think that there's a chance that there's going to be an uptick in like steroid usage this year potentially with uh, less amount of games with guys trying to maximize the the st- their stats with a limited amount of the bats? Well, it's really out of the question. I think uh, I think the best baseball we ever have offensively when people was using it. Right now, Major League Baseball is so into it. They go, they go every, every, you never know. Before they let you know who the player is going to be checked out, now they go in. People don't even know about it. Major League Baseball is after that pretty well. It takes a little while. It takes a long time to get it the right, the way, the right we should be. But I don't think players right now, you know I me. Mean, they just, uh, it's just they get caught. The one thing in baseball I always say. If the players get caught with stories again, bang it for the rest of your life. No more baseball for you. Anything we put in the list, you cannot take. Are you positive from that league? Do we take all the money away from you? And we move on. Okay, uh, each example. I signed a contract. If I go to take a story to sign a contract for $200 million, I'm taking it every day. <laughs> You know why? Because if I get suspended, I'm going to get suspended for 80, 80, 80 games, and that's going to cost me like, what, $500,000? And I'm going to continue to make $200,000, uh, $200,000? Woo, I will take it every day. <laughs> that's why if you get caught, they say, listen, you're going to play for, you suspend for the rest of the year, and you're going to play for the minimum, and you got to start over oh. with, your, with all your stuff. Then players will think about it. But believe me, if I'm going to make $200 million, and I'm going to get cut, I'm going to get suspended for 80 days, oh, I will do I will tell my people, hey, man, you know, that is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is. Ozzy, I can't thank you enough for joining us. You're an absolute legend, man. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for the opportunity, guy. Hopefully see you guys again. Hopefully I'll be your show again. Hell yes. Yes, Ozzy. We can't wait to talk to you again, <laughs> ladies and thank gentlemen. You. Anytime, we'll... buddy. Anytime. Thank you so much. Hey, we're going to hold you to that. Hey, I'm available. <laughs> Ozzy yeah. Diaz! Yeah. Ozzy! We appreciate you, man. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Oh, legend, dude. Such oh, a yeah. beast. A great steroid question there you just snuck in there. Figured, you know? By the way, that would be how you punish people. I also yes. knew that he is uh, not a fan of guys who took steroids. Yeah, so you thought he was going to potentially get a little fired up there? Mm-hmm. Oh, they ru- that, that they ruined the game. Man, that was... Because how fiery he is. Mm-hmm. Then once you start hearing like the reasons why he's doing it, it's like everything makes sense. And you said before he got on, I, I wasn't a big baseball guy for a long time whenever he was uh, running. Good manager. Oh, yeah. Smart, good, good, smart, player and a good player, too. Yeah. yeah, and he just said, like, hey, listen, they won't care who threw to get the World Series. If we're getting the trophy, guys might end up on DL. Like, hey, listen, <laughs> he's having a conversation. Like, hey, we have a team to win this year. We are going to go and get it, and it's going to ride in our bullpen. I love that mindset. I tell you, too, like being a Cubs fan, I absolutely hated him, but I respect him. He's, he's amazing. Yeah, you were very pumped whenever yeah. his name was popped I up. I love Ozzy Gian. Sam from Chicago, too. He said he didn't know that. Yeah, those. He, he, uh, he lived in Cicero, like right down the street when I grew up. Oh, really? Yeah. Did you guys ever meet? No, I actually met him once at a Park District event. And how was it? How'd it go? Did exactly him? how that was, but <laughs> R-rated. He oh. is very off-the-hip kind of guy. It's well, I, we got to get him strictly on the YouTube show mm-hmm. and see what happens. <laughs>
Fellas, are you prepared to unveil your summer bod? The beaches are opening, the sun is shining, and the bushes must be tamed. Manscaped is here to ensure your post-quarantine body is ready for the wild. Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full body grooming game. They have forever changed the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the essential lawnmower 3.0 waterproof, cordless body trimmer, and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. Subscribe to the Perfect Package and get a new blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months. For a limited time, subscribers get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag, which is a $39 value, and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. Wow. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PATM at Manscaped.com. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PATM at Manscaped.com. 20% off, free shipping, Manscaped.com, and use code PATM. Your balls will thank you. I see that your dry erase board is still for Bill Smith. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I feel bad for Big Bill, you know? He's done so much for us. First of all, it's not Bill because his name's not William. It's Willard. Oh. oh so it's Billard Smith. It's, so Billard. <laughs> yeah, if yeah. anything. Billard Smith. Okay. Anyways, Billard Smith had a long weekend. <laughs> he a lot did. of memes. That red table, by the way, very aggressive decision yeah. to do it. Mm-hmm. But Bill knows content game. Yeah. yeah, he does. Those numbers are massive. And... By the way, we've seen that face in plenty of movies before. Turns out, really good actor. Like, when he's actually befuddled and sad, exact same face as when he's acting befuddled and sad. Yeah. Good for Will Smith. Well, yeah, he's a, not acting in any of his movies. That's it. He just plays Will Smith in every movie. Oh, and so, that's why they're all so good. Yeah. Yeah. the best. I mean, yeah, See, the look, best. I, I didn't want to get into this because, you know, I don't like the guy for professional reasons. I didn't want to get into his personal life, mm-hmm. but it's been spattered all over the internet. People yeah. are expecting me to say something. Look, all I'll say is... His son said basically that Tyler, the creator, was his father. His daughter's writing letters to Tupac, and his wife's out there sleeping with everybody on the town. So Will needs to get his house in order, and then maybe he'll get his career back on track. But everything's falling apart for the guy. And I don't want to revel in it. You know, I don't want to be the guy to sit here and say I told you so and that he was going to bomb and everything was going to collapse on him. But here we are. You guys made me do this. I hope you're happy. Back on track. I'm not happy with what you just said about Billard. Unbelievable. Bad Boys for Life was so good. So good. Is it? Did anyone see it? Yeah, it was a banger. I did. I I did not see it. But I I know. That's a tough weekend. I mean, everything you just ran, ran, I didn't know all of that. I didn't know that to the extent. Those are the things about my Billard Smith, my Fresh Prince, that I try not to learn about because I like to keep him in high regard because him. These are things I don't want to know either, Pat, but people send them to me because they assume since I don't like the guy's movies that I have to stay up to date on everything he does. It's a sad situation with uh, August Alcina and Jada Pinkett Smith because August was in love and uh, Jada just called it an entanglement. That's tough. <laughs> That's a heartbreaker. Oh, they just got tangled up? An entanglement. Mm-hmm. That was the word of a choice. An entanglement. And then the way Will, uh, I mean, granted, this is a big sports show, Will uh, laid it out was basically like August came to them for help because at the time he was not healthy or something like that. And then they broke up and then uh, an entanglement. You know what I mean? So there's the back to life. I believe like there's it. a lot of nursing. <laughs> That's what it seems like. But everybody's going after Will. Poor Will I here. Know, see, poor I Will. Play. I'd like to see a little less Will Smith, a little more Mike Lowry. Maybe you should go beat the hell out of this guy or something. You you know, maybe Savage Will comes from this yes. entire thing. How long can you get beaten up for by stooges like Nick yeah. before you finally say, enough's enough, no more Mr. Nice Guy. I ain't Fresh Prince anymore. I'm Savage Prince. Or, like Ty brought up last week, was he enjoying it? 
did Will just sit back oh. and watch and take it all in and say, okay, this isn't so All right. Bad. We're not Intern Mitch here. I'm not. I mean, Nick, that was unbelievable what you just did right there. There was no reason for you just to rattle off all of Will Smith's life's transgression. Not once did I hear Men in Black talked about being uh, on no. Wild, Wild, Wild West. Oh, oh, come on. Getting jiggy with it. Getting jiggy oh, with it. Oh, I heard. I heard he's also been doing some shopping on Wayfair. So Okay. All right. What's this guy doing? What's this guy doing? <laughs> what is this guy doing? Nick. <laughs> Goodness gracious. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> Those are some very expensive cabinets. Yeah. Sweet Jesus, boys. Great craftsmanship, though. Your face. <laughs> what's so funny, Diggs? Hey. Tony. Diggs, what's so funny? Your face, what he said. Oh, my God. There's nothing I... I mean, there's so much to talk about here. There's so much to... But I'm just not... Nobody wants to come to us to hear about this. <laughs> okay? Up for bail, though. But I, I would like everybody to know that, boy, I got into some rabbit holes this weekend, <laughs> and they were deep down there. <laughs> Expensive cabinets. Billards. Just for, for my sake, uh, just to get my... I don't think they were coming inside of the cabinets, by the way. I think it was an alongside purchase for those that are on the internet. If anything, I think it's an alongside. I don't think they show up in the cabinet. Oh. I, I thought that was the method of transportation. That's what everybody was saying, and I was like, "There's no way that's." <laughs> there's, but all of it seems insane to me. Oh, and then there's allegedly a couple vids from old. Uh, oh, is yeah, she still no. alive? Is she still alive? Yeah they, yeah, they might let her out on bail too. So oh. not for long. Oh, oh my! Clock's ticking. Oh, Clock's yeah. ticking. Show's over. <laughs> Thanks, Billard. <laughs> that make you feel good? No. What are you looking at me for? I'm sick to my stomach thinking about it. The NFLPA sent back an economic counterproposal to the NFL. I mean, what do we do? Uh, I'd like to go to a break. We'll be back on the other side. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, joining us now for a very different conversation than the one that was just had. Uh, NHL NBC insider, ladies and gentlemen, our guy, friend of the show, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. friend of the show at oh, this yeah, point. Is yeah. this his third time on the show? Yeah. Wee yeah. wee, mm-hmm. oui, oui, Pierre McGuire. <laughs> yeah, Pierre! Patrick, how are you? Pierre, you have to be feeling fantastic. The NHL is setting the tone on how this whole thing is going to go. They sign an extension on a CBA. They get a lot of more things for the players. They double the playoff roster or the playoff bonus. They're starting training camp on Monday. It's like, what the hell happened to the NHL? This is not how the NHL normally operates, Pierre. If you go back to the first visit I had with you, Patrick, one of the things we talked about was the problem-solving ability of Gary Bettman and Bill Daly. And they've done a fantastic job in terms of getting the Players Association online, in terms of getting the coaches and the general managers and the owners online. And everybody's worked together, Pat. They really have. It's been a phenomenal process. And, I, you know, I've been in the league 32 years. I, I'm so proud of the players we have. I'm so proud of the coaches we have. But I'm really proud of the way our league office and the NHLPA have handled this. They've handled it fantastically well. No offense. You, you did say that, which was – 
eye-opening, I think, to a lot of us that are just not not diehard everyday hockey fans, but we watch and we kind of look from the outside because the NHL has had work stoppages before. I mean, it is there has been bargaining, negotiation issues. The fact now, I think because some of the season was played uh, before the quarantine and business was kind of handled, maybe they were set up a little bit better than possibly the MLB. But the way this has all gone down behind closed doors, two hub cities, everybody thought it was going to be Vegas. No, we're going up to Edmonton and Toronto. We're going to Canada. Like the way it's all been handled and laid out is next level. What did the owners, because it feels like the players won in this entire thing. The 35-year-old, you have to keep them on a salary cap if they get cut or retire after their 35 years of age. That's gone. Uh, The no-trade clause, if they agree to get traded, they can get back onto the no-trade clause when they go to the no. That is in play. It feels like everything that's happening has been very pro players, doubling this playoff bonus. Did the NHL owners in the CBA negotiation, did they go in there and like, this is what we need to get all this done? Or did this feel like this was a league really looking out for the players for the long here. I, I think it's a combination of both, and that's why I use the term spirit of cooperation. I, I think the players understand that things have worked out really well. When Commissioner Bettman took over the league, Pat, back in 1993-94, uh, the league revenues were about $500 million. Ever since then, the league revenues are now almost $5 billion. Oh, Ooh, so he's the, good. He's good. <laughs> the business has grown exponentially, and that's really helped the players. And if you go back to the one lockout you were alluding to in 2004 and 2005, we had a, the nuclear winter. We didn't have hockey for an entire calendar year. But what it did was it created the salary cap, and I know a lot of people are pro or con depending on where you stand on the cap. But what the cap didn't do is it didn't bring back salaries. It actually enhanced salaries because there was a trigger mechanism in the, in the collective bargaining agreement that if revenues went up, the salary cap went up. If the salary cap went up, salaries were going to go up. And so it really hasn't drawn back the salaries. It's actually helped enhance the salaries. I can't believe that, by the way, that's an astounding stat. He should be on Shark Tank for sure <laughs> at some point to be able to do that. The, um, the thought of the NHL having home training camp starting on Monday and then traveling to Canada, are the players just, because of the way this deal has been negotiated and because the NHL has done what it's done to the players, and, and by the way, being a, an athlete that, that sat through a lockout and knows like the behind the scenes of this, what the NHL is giving to the players here in any other sport would take months of negotiation and a lot of things to be given up here. Is that why the players have been so, I don't want to say cool with, but it does seem like the NHL players have been much cooler with a lot of the ideas than a lot of the other sports going in. Are they going into quarantine starting Monday at their home training camps and then they'll travel together to Canada and then they're in quarantine? So this is like a, hey boys, we're going on like a two month run here where we're going to be away from everybody. A hundred percent. And you couldn't have said that any better. I mean, that's spot on. So one of the things that I think has really happened, the players realize that in order for the business model to function, they have to be party to it and be real active participants in it. And I think they've done that through these discussions with the ownership group and with the league. And the owners understand that without the players, it's pretty darn tough to run your business. (laughs) So both groups kind of got their head around this and they said, okay, we got to work together. here." And I think they've done a real good job. Donald Fear at the PA deserves a lot of credit with Matthew Schneider and Glenn Healy and at the league office, Bill Daly and Gary Batman again. Phenomenal you, work. Pierre, what conference are you where are you in a doctor's office? <laughs> what is oh. I'm, you won't believe this. I'm working at a hockey camp. I'm giving back to the game in Boston. I've been doing this. Yeah! Yeah! The bean! So 
I met a real good friend of mine. He owns the rink. His name is Scott Fusco. He and his brother, Mark, both won the Hobie Baker playing at Harvard, which is a Heisman Trophy for hockey. The yes. only brothers that have ever won the Hobie Baker. So I'm at that rink, been coming here for 15 years, and it's a pleasure just to give back to the game and work with young players. Uh, well, Har- Harvard hockey is never going to happen again, but that, that, <laughs> is, that, is, that is awesome that they accomplished that. Um, do you just show them film of Sidney Crosby the entire time and say just do that? You know what? It would be a good idea, but because of quarantining and all that different stuff, Pat, we're not allowed to really be in tight. We get the kids on the ice where we have 12 on each team, then they go outside. So if we had film study, Pat, I'd be showing them Sidney Crosby. Yeah. yeah, best player ever. Let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about the quarantine, social distancing rules and everything like that. We saw the MLS. They debuted the MLS's back tournament a couple of nights ago. They came onto the field with masks. They played for 97 or 90 or 100 minutes, breathing, sweating, bumping into each other. And then as soon as that game was over, they had to go into masks and weren't allowed to talk to each other. The NFL just came out yesterday and said like hey here's some of the protocols that we'll be enforcing this year to help social distance for 60 minutes or if overtime happens guys will be spearing each other guys will be hand-to-hand combat headbutting each other and then immediately afterwards can't even share a jersey with each other don't even think about dapping each other up you have to be standing six six feet away from each other all that stuff right so there's a lot of interesting rules that are getting put into place to try to make it as safe as possible while also executing the sport what is the nhl doing what are the rules there are we gonna hey if Sidney Crosby goes to score six goals in the first game, is he allowed to go down the bench and do the fist bump down the entire thing? Uh, I don't think we're going to have that. No! 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 <laughs> I was going to break his stick, Pierre. What about, what, after, what about after a playoff series, whenever they have the line, the shake hands line, which is like the, one of the biggest traditions in the history of hockey with the playoff? You know what? That's a good point. That's something that I was talking about the other day with a friend of mine who plays in the league, and, and I don't even know whether that's going to happen or not. It, it is one of the great traditions. Are we just going to bump elbows? Is that how it's going to work? I don't know. But I do know one thing. They're really being progressive in these pods. So that you talked about Edmonton and Toronto being – two of the pods that we'll be going to. The thing is, is that players will be getting tested. Each team will be on a different floor. You won't be able to navigate with another player and another team uh, in the hotel. You can only get on your own team's bus. You can only get in your own team's dressing room. You can't co-mingle with other people that you might be uh, friendly with from other teams. So it's, it's going to be pretty tough conditions. It's not. It's going to be pretty Spartan, Pat. It really is. Are they allowed to check people? <laughs> oh, yeah, that'll be part of it. <laughs> Doesn't that just kind of cancel out literally everything you just said there? Uh, yeah, I, I know. I wish I was a medical expert. I could give you more. <laughs> I'm a follically impaired former coach. <laughs> How does so? How did it become? Because the question was, it's going to be Vegas, and then people are thinking maybe Columbus, maybe Toronto. Does Gary Bettman just call Canada and go, "Hey, is there any way you can get rid of that 14-day mandatory uh, quarantine for anybody coming from out of the country, so that we can come lock our entire league up there in Canada?" How did it become two Canadian cities? Because I think the last time we talked, it was like, "Well, it might be tough to have a Canadian city, even though they want it, because of the rules and regulations." Does Gary Bettman just call Canada and do that? I think there were a lot of people that called, not just Gary Bettman. I think a lot of the Canadian owners, whether it be the people in Winnipeg or the people up in Edmonton, the people in Toronto, the people in Montreal, there's a lot of political capital that I think was spent. But the other thing, and I, I give credit where credit's due, the Canadians have done a phenomenal job handling this. They really have. Um, and they deserve a lot of credit for it. Edmonton is in a very safe position right now. Toronto's in a real healthy position right now. 
So I give them a lot of credit. I, I think Prime Minister Trudeau was lobbied by a lot of different people, and I think he realized it was probably going to be really good for the economy for those two cities in particular. If Edmonton, you say, is doing very well, if that thing opens up back opens back up, will the players be allowed to open back up, or will they have to abide by the NHL rules? I, I don't know what you're talking about. The players meaning what? So, like, if the players are in Edmonton in their pod... But the city of Edmonton's like, hey, this is, by the way, we are now in phase, I don't know if they're doing the same phases as us, phase yep. four, phase hey, five. Phase four, I know what you're saying, yep. If, if Edmonton opens back up because of the, like, let's say, how long is this going to last, by the way? How long are they going to be in these pods, you think? Oh, I, I, first of all, Edmonton's going to host the Eastern Conference Final and the Western Conference Final and the Stanley Cup. So if you go all the way to the final, you could be there for three months if you were part of the West. So you're going to be there for a while. Um, but no, I, once you're in the pod, this is the way it was described to me, Pat. Once you're in, you're staying in. And whether they change the rules or not in society, you're staying in your pod. And welcome to the Hotel California. Such a lovely place. Uh, Pierre, so it came out this week that there's going to be three games. Uh, pretty much each day at each location. Are you guys, are you as announcers going into locations, or will you be calling each game at that certain location, or are you guys going to be calling from an off-site uh, situation? Great, great question. Uh, as far as I know, I'm going to be going to one of the pods. I'm actually right, let's go, Pierre! Lock it down, Pierre! Three months! Lock it down! Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Did we lose you? No. Oh, we lost you, Pierre? <laughs> Pierre, no, you're back. You're yeah. back. Pierre, you're back. So you're no, going to be up there for four months, three months? You're going to be up in Edmonton for three months? Yeah, I will be. I just don't know which pod I'll be in yet, but I'm waiting for that assignment. Oh, yes. what are you going to do? You're taking, you getting in video games? You a video game guy? What the hell are you going to do? You're gonna I'm be- going to be watching you, and I'm going to be watching football. When I'm on my downtime, oh, training camp, you know, it's yeah. not going to be college football. I'll tell you that, it's just not here. I don't no, know if you're... it'll be college football. No. I think <laughs> your brand of football is going to exist. I think so too. They're going to power that through. But the next couple of weeks, just like the MLB, the NFL, and the NFLPA, I think it is going to get. Like I hope they do it. Like the and this, by the way, 2020 is a wild city. I hope that the NFL and the NFLPA handle this like the NHL and the NHLPA handled this entire thing. And I think the fact that the NHL has been at the forefront of like, hey, let's not go ahead and just demolish our reputation with our fans uh, because we're going to make this ugly in public. I think it's going to be the opposite, though. I think the NFL and the NFLPA are going to be a bit public. The NHL and the NHLPA handling this behind closed doors is a miracle. I have no idea how that happened. Well, again, it goes back to, I think, leadership, really strong and really forceful and smart leadership from both sides. And I think they realize, both parties really realize, you can't exist without the other party. And I think they did want to create a spirit of cooperation. They certainly did that on the NHLPA side and the ownership side. Did they send an email out early? Like, hey, do not listen. (laughs) Listen, we're going to get a deal done. Don't tell anybody about anything. We'll figure this out. Nobody needs to know our business. Like, is that a message that is actually sent out to every? Because that's coaches, that's general managers, that's players, that's trainers, that's literally everybody it felt like was very buttoned up and didn't say a damn thing about anything, even if they had real questions or concerns. Our sport's pretty good at that. You know, most of the guys come from humble beginnings, whether you're a farm boy in Canada or you're a a kid that grew up uh, in, in the United States and had to leave home when you were 14 years old. Most of the kids are coming from pretty humble backgrounds, and I think they follow instruction really well, but they also know their passion and they care about the sport. They care about the well-being of the sport, Pat. They really do. That's 
Beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful. What up, Nick? Pierre, you mentioned that they're going to try and keep the teams and players separate from each other in the hotels. And I don't know if you saw the list of who's staying in what hotel, but it seems like that was a little bit of a misjudgment in putting Boston, Tampa Bay, Washington, Philadelphia, and Pittsburgh all in the same hotel because those teams hate each other uh, or, and love or, to mix or, or smart move because they hate each other so much these dudes will not mingle with each <laughs> other true. they're gonna have to call in the mounties i think to keep them separated that's tough <laughs> are they trying to well, set up a little fight island <laughs> canadians uh politicians or not politicians but the rcmp is so strict you talked about the royal canadian mount of police um that i have friends across the border that have properties in canada and once you cross the border, if you're not quarantined for 14 days, you're in big trouble. The RCMP actually calls you to make sure that you're at your property and they can track you once you cross the border. So it's pretty significant. Are they going to have the horses in the, at the end of each hall, like at the end <laughs> of each floor? Like, hey, get back in your bedroom. Well, you're, you're a football guy. One of the great traditions in Canadian Football League action is a great cup. And at the end of the great cup, it's one of the iconic shots in all of sport is to see the two Mounties carry the great cup into the stadium it's an awesome shot if you ever get a chance to see it check it out pat it's really cool to see. well one of my favorite shots is whenever you and the boys hand over the stanley cup to uh sydney crosby and i think you're gonna be doing that in about three months up there in edmonton i can't thank you enough pierre you're the best dude i'm gonna come on with you whenever you ask it's just a pleasure to be on with you and i love your passion for our game we're so grateful to have you as a supporter hey. thanks pat. big hockey guy big hockey guy oh yeah big hockey guy Will you talk to us from the bubble, or are you not allowed to? Yes. Yes! Yeah. We have an insider! We have an insider, ladies and gentlemen. Pierre Maguire, you're the best. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's awesome. All right, all right. Hope you enjoyed today. Cheers to all of you. I hope you have a great Tuesday into a Wednesday. And then we'll be back on Thursday. Hashtag this is where I'm at, Pat. We got all the photos collected. Zito has been collecting photos throughout the entire quarantine, which, by the way, thank you for letting us, you know, kind of share this time with you. It's been a wild time. The fact that you allowed us into your life while the whole world shut the fuck down, I'm thankful for. Also, end of the pod squad, money winner will be announced on Thursday. Takes people like a few days to listen to the entire show. But if you listen to the end of the show where we're at right now, I am thankful for. If you'd like to enter into the next money giveaway, 500 bucks, use hashtag end of pod squad. And just give me a little cheers. Randomly selected. Um, yeah, be a friend, tell a friend. Ty Schmidt, please play some independent music. We'll be back Thursday. Ty, now play some independent music. Thank you.